everyone. Welcome to This Is Not About Your Body. I'm your host, Jesse Neeland. And today I have a really fun guest. This will be Stephanie Michelle, who's a binge eating recovery coach and a certified intuitive eating counselor. Uh, she also happens to be a former client and friend of mine. And I'm super excited to have you on. So welcome, Stephanie. Thank you. It's surreal to be here. <laughs> um, okay. So for audiences who are not familiar with you yet, I'd love to have you just do a little bit of like, tell me about what you do and maybe a little bit how you came to do it. Sure. So I work with people who are struggling with the binge restrict cycle um, because I struggled with the binge restrict cycle for decades and recovered. And after I recovered, I thought there, like, there was nothing more I wanted to do than to help other people through that process. Cause it is like just a harrowing place to be. Um, yeah. and I had to really like relearn how to eat. I don't think I really knew how to eat since, since I was a kid, um, intuitive yeah. eating was a concept that was like really nice in theory, but I just didn't understand how to, how to get there. How does a former binge eater get there? Um, so my journey led to this journey and I then discovered, um, intuitive eating as like a, a you know, the certification to become a certified, um, yeah. in, intuitive eating counselor. And now I'm working on somatic therapy. So the, the, the onion layers keep peeling back, um, as far as all the, all the things that are involved in healing one's relationship with food and body image and, um, ourselves really essentially. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Uh, can you define for the listeners what a binge restrict cycle is? Mm. So, okay. Well, first I'll start by talking about what a binge is. Cause I get that question yeah. a lot. Ooh. Like what even does that entail? Um, so a binge is not like overeating in the way of like, oh, like I ate too many pieces of cake cause it was just so good. And I, now I feel really full. It's more like these episodes of eating and it doesn't always have to be a distinct episode, although that is how the DSM will define it. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's like, in intense and excessive amounts of food that are eaten in like a frenzy and in this yeah. like spiral of shame and guilt and shame and guilt is part of the definition of a binge as well. Um, and it's sort of like your brain gets hijacked by something, um, which I will talk about, yeah. uh, and you can't stop yourself. So you know what you're doing in a sense. Sometimes people will like almost forget what happened and they'll sort of mm -hmm. wake up like in, a blackout state almost. Yeah. yeah. That wasn't my experience with it, although it is for some people. I knew what I was doing. I was watching myself eat and knew my, my rational brain was talking to me like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? I don't want to do that. But that didn't matter. My hand just kept going and my yeah, mouth just yeah, kept yeah. chewing um, to the point where I would become like sick with food and then wonder like, oh my gosh, how did that all just happen? I didn't want that to happen. And then I would yeah. sit in the guilt. And then the restrict part of that cycle was the like, okay, now what do I do about that? I need to compensate for this. What's the plan? How am I going to do that? Either via exercise, fasting, um, it can be through purging, um, in, in, in some kind of way. And then that cycle just goes on and on and on and on and on. Yeah. So it's very chicken or the egg, right? This question of like, did you restrict so much that then you got out of control and had a binge or was it the binge that made you feel so guilty that then you had to restrict and that is why we call it a cycle and not like a before and after. It's like a constant, endless snowball. Yeah. Like one feeds the other. Yeah. And that's why it's so impossible to break because actually, well, I don't know if I would say, because I feel like there is a, there is an order to it. So mm -hmm. um, restriction typically happens first. Mm -hmm. And then we have the binge response. But what happens is that after the binge response, it feels almost impossible to not restrict when you right. develop safety from restriction, like you somehow make up for this terrible thing you've done. Um, that is such, a, there is such a pull to do that. And there were so many times where my, you know, I had therapists who were saying to me, like, in order to stop the binging, we have to stop the restricting. I shouldn't say so many, actually. There was like <laughs> one who said that because everyone else was just basically trying to teach me how to be more moderate with my eating. Oh, gosh. Um, but I couldn't. I would binge and then I would feel like there is no way. There is no way that I cannot now compensate for this. Like, I just cannot sit with that. And so it just kept going. Could you uh, give us a definition of restricting? Because you defined binge. And I feel like these are words that just get thrown around a lot. So restriction can be physical. I, I define it in three ways, physical, mental, or emotional. Mm -hmm. um, with physical restricting, meaning that you're actually limiting the foods you're eating or the amount of foods you're eating or the time. So even fasting yeah. is, is a version of restriction because you can't eat during certain periods of time. Yeah. Um, 
it could be like cutting out certain food groups. It could be even just portion control. Like this idea of I'm just going to eat like a reasonable amount the next day being read to the body as that means you have to eat the smallest amount possible. Um, but mental restriction is actually just as viable. Um, and it's probably more insidious than physical restriction because most people don't recognize that they're restricting when they're only mentally restricting, which is basically the idea that you shouldn't have be eating certain things. Even if you're eating them, you could be binging all day long and still be restricting. You could be yeah, mentally restricting. This is a huge misconception. I'm going to ask you later about other misconceptions, but this is a big one. The idea that like, if I'm not, but I'm not restricting. Yeah. Oh, I like hear when you're telling yourself that you're bad for eating or that you need to stop soon or that tomorrow stop, it's still, it reads as restriction. It has the same effect. Yeah, because the brain is like, oh, I know what happens when we think we're not eating well. We're we're gonna diet soon. Like yeah. it's like I'm ahead of you. I'm just gonna cut to the chase. Uh-huh. So it's just reading it, yeah, exactly the same way. And and for many years, I would say for almost a decade, I just binged. I didn't physically restrict, but I was actively mentally restricting every second of the day. I was constantly berating myself mm. for the fact that I ate. Um, and for a lot of people, this feels really warranted. Like it feels like, well, I do eat too much. I do. Yeah. I am out of control with my food. What else am I supposed to think? I do have to right. get this under control, but there's such a delivery in that there's like the condescension of that. And the, like mm. you better, it's like a finger wagging at you all the time. That is mental restriction. And that will also fuel the binge. It sounds like, so I don't know, d- disciplinary any, you know, I think of this voice as like, like such a little nagging disciplinarian, <laughs> like, yeah. Or like, I'm like imagining like someone basically lecturing you, you know, it's like that kind yeah. of patronizing voice of like, yeah. Yeah. Which essentially it, it is, it feels like you're, it's an inner critic in a way. It's right. that like, you should, you shouldn't, you know, and, it, and like, <laughs> maybe it's just your impersonation of it that I, I get this vibe from. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely how mine sounded. And I was just like, uh, and of course I'm like, well, then we rebel. Um, yeah. Well, some people do. I think that you've got the compliance angle, which is the mm-hmm. restriction. And then you've got the rebel angle, which is that like, you know what? <laughs> yeah, you can't tell me what to do. Yeah. And that is, you know, that's a fire. And that's, that was a lot of, that's the battle. It's like this, you know, do I, do I want to listen and like do the right thing? And okay. Yeah. I got to get in line. I'm so bad. And then like, what do you No, No, yeah. I don't, I don't. I'm just going to get bigger and bigger, and bigger and, and eat more and more and more. And take up more and more room. Yeah. Okay. So I would love to hear your thoughts on, so binge eating disorder is one of the eating disorders in the DSM five, the diagnostic manual for uh, mental health stuff. And you can also be in the binge cycle without having binge eating disorder, right? How do you define the difference? Well, there's certain criteria for binge eating that's outright. Like I, I think there's, it's a spectrum essentially. Mm-hmm. And and I think binge eating can sometimes, for me, I used to say I just binged, even if it hadn't been quantifiably the amount ah. that, that, that would say what binge was. I think there's a certain calorie. Um, well, it's like a, a substantial, more than a certain amount of calories. Whereas, and I've had people say this to me, I, I binged like, and it wasn't necessarily a lot of food, but it was done in that with that sort of energy. Um, so to me, like there can be binge eating energy and there can be like more just chronic overeating or compulsive eating. That is more, maybe a lesser side of the spectrum. Um, but the, the, what I, how I really think about it, and I don't really care whether it's diagnosed or not. It's more Mm -hmm. like, do you feel like there's episodes, there's times where you feel out of control around food and you feel like an incredible amount of guilt about that. Um, and how much is that impacting your functioning? So would you say that like people who chronically overeat and they're really bothered by it, like even if they're not fitting a lot of the binge criteria, would you call that binging? Um, sometimes depending on, on the like episodes of it, but it can Mm. also be compulsive eating or it can be, um, chronic overeating. I would call that more disordered eating. Okay, um, where yeah. it's like more of that diet cycle followed by periods of time where people eat a lot more uh-huh. and they have the guilt around it. Binging is its own little, when you binge, you know, it like it, mm. it's like, it's happening and you're like, Whoa, like what was yeah. that? That was not a normal thing to do. Can you, now I'm so curious. Cause I feel like I have a sense of out of control that I always imagine a binge. Uh, the, the like visual that I attach to it is the Tasmanian devil. You know what I mean? Like, it's like a whirling out of control energy. Do you have anything that you would describe as like, like that energy embodied? 
Totally. I mean, that is ex- essentially what it was more mentally, to be honest. Mm. I mean, it, c- it could be physically as well. Cause there, sure. there's some, and I have an anxious, I'm anxious. Like that was always my thing. Although no, I was also depressed for a while. So my depressed binges were slower Mm. but like chronic, like throughout the whole day, you know, like they, I just couldn't bear the thought of That's stopping. Interesting. Yeah. My anxious binges were like Tasmanian devil, like where it was yeah. fast and like furious and like, um, just like a whirlwind of chaos in the body, but also yeah. in the mind. And yeah. I think that that would be true. The Tasmanian devil analogy would be true, whether I was depressed or anxious, like in oh, my mind, it's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, you know, totally. Um, okay. So I would love to hear then, uh, if there is any answer for this, what kind of person is most likely to struggle with binging? Ooh. So uh, as I was like sort of alluding to before, it's almost like the restrictive, restrictive disorders tend to be more people-pleasing and compliant, which is not to say that binge eating can't be because it absolutely can be. And actually I find that people in the binge restrict cycle where there's more an active phase of restriction followed by an active phase of binging, right? So there's active restriction happening. That's not just mental, it's physical um, restriction, restriction is more of someone who has more of this rebel tendency Mm. um, and that there's not as much compliance. There might be some, but there's, there's something of a, of a rebel there as well. Whereas binge eaters and restrictors to me, anecdotally anyway, from what I see tend to be people who are, are more people pleasing and compliant. Um, I find that there's a lot more inner conflict in a binge restrictor. There's a lot of like, almost like, um, two personalities, like the, the side that is like perfectionistic and, and really driven and, and another side that's like, I mean, I, and I, I, I feel that way. I feel like a true Gemini in that respect where there's a side <laughs> of me that's like, that I can do all the things right and all the, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then there's a side of me that's like, no, fuck it. I'm just gonna, no. So could we say then that it's like almost a lack of integration that is more likely to bring this out? Like, that's a really interesting thought that it tends to be people who have like pretty extreme versions of two sides mm-hmm. of themselves. Probably you could call it a lack of integration, a lack of reconciliation of, of mm. sides. I think it's a lack of compassion as well, because um, absolutely, I demonized the rebel side of me for a long time, right? Because right, yeah, our culture will praise the side that's compliant and that conforms and does the right thing and pleases others, especially as a female. This other side mm. of me was like, no, but that was not okay. And neither was like me just doing what I wanted and me not listening to rules was apps was not okay. So I internalized this as wrong, wrong. Like yeah. who is this part of me? I'm scared of this part of me. I don't know. I, I can't trust that part of me. Um, yeah. so, uh, yeah. so what I'm hearing is that people who binge restrict are secretly badasses <laughs> and, uh, there's just a lack of acceptance and like reconciliation with that. Yeah. That's a great summary. <laughs> that's how I like to think about it. <laughs> Um, okay. So tell me about the binge, uh, recovery process, the binge eating recovery process. What does that look like? And and how do you help clients through like from the depth of the cycle into a place where they are like, okay, and safe around food? Yeah. So it's breaking that cycle in that, in that point we talked, discussed earlier where it's it almost feels impossible to do so. So it's after the binge actually. So the pro we don't mm-hmm. want to start addressing it by the binges. Cause those are going to be the, that's a biological response mm-hmm. that you're having to scarcity and restriction. So we have to in- interfere at the moment where we start restricting again. And so yeah. it becomes about, and this is the hardest part is not following up the binges with restriction, which takes so much energy and so much right. safety, which is how I actually ended up getting into somatic work because mm-hmm. the, the felt sense of, of safety, the way you talk about body image, not being about your body yeah. in the same way that food is not really about food. It's about mm-hmm. the, the way that we feel safe or not. Um, and having support in the, in that space. So for me, I, I actually started recovery on my birthday one year and I was like, my mom made me this cake. She made me this coconut German. It was like a German chocolate cake, but it was vanilla and coke. Anyway, best cake in the world. And I was like, I'm going to eat this cake and I'm, I'm not going to make up for it. And that was mm. how it began. Right. So I had like a lot of that cake. And that's one, one thing I always tell my clients before starting to work with them is when we just, when we stop restricting the body will, that pendulum will swing to the other side and you will eat a lot of food. Mm -hmm. And we don't think of it 
of binge recovery like that. We think about binge recovery as eating less food, which eventually happens. But in the beginning, it's actually eating a lot more because it's like being let out of a cage and like, you're not going to go back in now, which is essentially where you've always gone. So it is this process of allowing and not following up with that restriction. And that's the place where coaching comes in because that is so hard. That is such a lonely and scary place to be. So lonely and scary. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. So like uh, holding one, someone's hand through that process. Um, and like, which essentially is what I needed all the time to be reassured that that was the right thing to do. Cause it's, you feel like you've just, yeah. you feel like you're never going to stop eating. Yeah. I feel like I've sent like a thousand Voxer messages of like, this is normal. Yeah. This is okay. You're not eating too much. It's not weird. You're not alone. <laughs> Everybody feels this way. Like it's just yeah. that constant feeling of like, how could this possibly be okay? Absolutely. Which is exactly what you feel. Yeah. Cause it also goes against everything that you've ever been taught about food and yes. moderation, even in binge recovery. And I've been to binge recovery, um, like treatment and yeah. it, the focus was always on emotions actually. And, and uh-huh. like eating less in response to big emotions. And I couldn't deal with emotions as part of this, this, this um, conversation until the restriction stopped that, that then you can think about how emotions are feeding your yeah. drive to eat. Gosh, that's so interesting that that's like part of the, the sort of formula in recovery in the recovery yeah. space. Um, okay. So I guess, I mean, I, I want to reflect that, like, the work at this point when someone is starting to stop is, or, or rather trying to get out of the cycle is to start giving themselves permission to eat even binge and then not restrict again. How, like what tools, what steps, what, like, how do you see that play out next? Because other than just like the, uh, meltdown of identity, uh, like the complete lack of trust in reality, like all of those things, like how, like what tools do you use with clients? So one is it is a bit mechanical eating. So I call it anchor meals. And some of my clients think I say anger meals. (laughs) So it's a bit Freudian anchor. Um, so with a binge restrict cycle, right? Like there's going to be a tendency to want to restrict on the sly. So I, always start out by saying, okay, we're going to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and three snacks. So breakfast, Mm. morning snack, lunch, afternoon snack, and that afternoon snack is so important. Um, And dinner and a a nighttime snack. And there's kind of no, we don't vary on that because, and a lot of people will say, but isn't intuitive eating about listening to your body's cues? And it's like, well, yeah, sure. That's later. That's the goal. That's not the method. So we have those anchor meals built in non-negotiably, no matter how much you eat at each meal or snack, because if you don't, what you'll start to do, uh, and anyone who resonates with the binge restrict cycle is going to know, it's like, oh, well, I ate so much at lunch that like, no, I I'm just, just I'm just not hungry. So, yeah. And the cycle will continue. And it's also important for like establishing a circadian rhythm with food. Cause the whole point is to reestablish trust with the body and the body mm-hmm. needs to understand that food comes reliably at certain times of the day, no matter what in this unconditional permission kind of way, no matter mm-hmm. what, how much we've eaten before. And that needs to go on for months before, before you sort of see a shift at, and that's a generalization, but I mean, I didn't, I ate those anchor meals for like three to three months at least before I started to notice any sort of change in the amounts I was, I was mm-hmm. craving or, or even the amount of mental space it was taking up. And how much were you binging during that time? Gosh, you know, I wish I'd written it all down, but, um, I was still binging that here's the other tool that I'll use it. It, the difference between a binge and restorative eating, which would be sort of the method here is, mm. is consciousness and that frenzy, right? So you're talking about the Tasmanian devil and a binge would have been Tasmanian devilish. When we talk about having anchor meals, you're allowed to have as much as you want. So it could be the amount you might've had in a binge, oh, Okay, yeah. but you're having it, um, consciously and you're having it like more slowly. And one of the things we talk about is eating is actually slowing down movements because when you're moving really fast, your brain's like something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong, you know? And when we slow down, your brain's like, Oh, something must not be wrong because we're moving slow. Otherwise we'd be moving really fast. Um, so I remember eating, like I would eat, I would eat like the equivalent of three or four lunches, um, during an anchor meal lunch, but 
it was, I remember watching my hand, like go reach for food. And I remember saying, slow down, slow down. And I would, sl- I watched my hand, like bring it back. Maybe no one else would have noticed if you were watching uh-huh. me, it might've been imperceptible yeah, sure. to you. But to me, it was like, oh, I'm like, right. Yeah. I'm allowed. So I'll have it. So the, the energy of that eating was different. So I don't, I probably binged. There were probably times I forgot that all went out the window and I just binged, but it was more about staying present and conscious as I was eating. So, um, the, the energy of it all changed. I love that. That's such an important distinction. I actually give, um, clients occasionally the, (laughs) nobody likes this exercise, but, uh, I give them the exercise to set out in front of them, everything like to be realistic about what this binge is going to be when they get the urge, set it all out in front of you and actively give yourself permission to work your way through it slowly. Yeah. And like, it is so (laughs) uncomfortable because all they want to do is pretend they're not going to have it all right. They're like, I don't want to lay it all out because then I'm giving myself permission to eat it. I'd rather just pretend I'm going to eat the first thing (laughs) and then stop. It's like such chaos, but honestly, just to see it all and be like, Jesse said, I'm allowed to eat this. Like I have permission. This is not an emergency. And then you just eat is like night and day from an actual, the energy of an actual binge. Yes. Because you're taking away even the permission from someone else. It takes a lot of that um, responsibility of self away. So there's, you almost get like a pass on the guilt. Exactly. You don't have to. And that guilt is such a driver. Really the guilt and shame are are at the core of, Mm. of this disorder. And so trying to address that piece is, is what you're doing when you're slowing down. And when you're saying it's all out here and I'm allowed, someone told me I was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no one's ever told me that before, <laughs> um, is, is, is a part of it. And that's hard. It's not, it's easier said than done. Um, but it's, it's a practice every day. And I think having support around this is so important because if, yeah. because we need a permission from something external, I think sometimes to begin so what does the process usually look like next? Like someone's been doing months, they've got their anchor meals, they're committed to eating uh, with a little bit more like slow or mindful energy. They are just eating tons of food and starting to freak out about weight gain. Like what happens? That's then? what's next. <laughs> so what, what usually happens is that I'll start to, you know, people will start to say, I'm noticing that I went to bed last night and forgot about my snack, or I noticed that I got full a lot earlier than I used to, or I noticed that I, like, I didn't want the extra slice Mm -hmm. of whatever pizza this time. And I did, and it wasn't like I was trying not to. So these, these, that will happen. And I'll get, I'll get this feedback. Like this is happening. All this wonderful stuff's happening, but at the same time, it's like my body is, I'm now, I have outwear my, my clothes and I can't yeah. fit in this. And now, so it's like, again, we've got these two sides of like, this yeah. is great. And this is awful. And then it, it usually turns towards a body image discussion. And that, that starts to creep in, which is interesting. Cause I, you know, it's almost like the body is gaining weight. There is that extra le- level of safety, mm-hmm. in the body, which is allowing these other things to happen. But now we've got, okay, now how do I deal with this weight gain? And, and that's yeah. usually like phase, the second phase of things, um, which I'm sure you could speak to all day long. I will say this is often where a client finds me is they've been doing the work and it may be working, but they have like lost their minds and need support because the thought of like, if I'm just going to gain weight to get healthy, is that even worth it? Yeah. And so this is where I feel like a lot of questions around, you know, sort of unpacking fat phobia and weight stigma and like the, the false connections that we all learned between health and body size and moral superiority and body size and all these things. Like, I would say that's mostly what I see. I'm not sure if you see something different because you start so focused on food. It varies. Um, but we talk about body image in the beginning. Um, when I meet someone, I say like there, there's weight gain involved in this process much, not definitely, but yeah, we need to be like, are we open to that? And so, um, if someone, some people have said, I'm not, I'm not right. I'm not there. Mm-hmm. In which case it's, it's, you know, that's, that's maybe a case to not yeah. work together. Um, because for me, I, I get that. And I, I did not recover until my desire to recover eclipsed just slightly my desire to keep right. my body small, only a little, <laughs> like just by a hair. Yeah. Um, but it had to be that way because of, otherwise it, it wasn't working. 
Totally. I would say more often than not, people go back and forth where there's like the eclipse is there sometimes and they're stuck on the work and they're like so proud of themselves for doing it. And then there are times, moments, triggers, whatever, where they're like, this is worthless. I'm going back to dieting. I can't believe I ever got fooled yeah. and that I was told this would be okay. This is obviously a horrible idea. Like I definitely see those moments. Yeah, I, I, I do too. And that's where the safety comes in, right? Because when you're in that space, I would call that like a flood moment, right? Those mm -hmm. moments where you see a, a photograph or you see your image yeah. walk by a mirror and you're like, oh, or you're trying on clothes and they don't fit anymore. Like that's when like the adrenaline and the cortisol are flooding your system. And you, and I I'll call this curtain syndrome where it feels like someone's just pulled the curtain aside. And now you see, and I can't believe that I have been walking around with this like thing in oh, front of my eyes yeah, all this time. Yeah. And now, now I see the reality. And I can't believe I've been so vulnerable and so duped. Mm. This is where I'm like, okay, let's look at this the other way around and put like, that's the curtain coming in front of you. Right. So if like all this time you're, you, you've committed to this work, you have felt like this is aligned with what I want to yeah. do. I want to recover. And then this thing happens. That's when the curtain's coming down and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm now flooding with so much adrenaline and cortisol that I can't see clearly. Yes, you know what I mean? Like, absolutely. I, I, and so it's kind of like getting through that moment and waiting for that to, to, to come. You mm -hmm. have to be thinking with your whole brain to recover, right? And yeah. when you're primal, you're just panicking and yeah. you're just going to move towards the quickest route to safety. So something I love in these moments is to like, give the alarm bell messages, like a, like to from their perspective to name the alarm bells right so it's like in that moment when you're flooded in really any case right it's like your brain is going alarm bells are like like danger alert danger alert and so just to even like it, be curious enough to ask well what is the danger what are they telling you is so dangerous um or what are they alerting you to and often the answer to that comes out as sort of like a frantic like you know a, a vomit of words or whatever generally speaking when you actually get down to it it's like the alert is like that I'll, I'll like overnight, I'll become 600 pounds and like get totally out of control and, and die alone. You know, it's like so yeah. dramatic and hyperbolic that once you actually name it, you can kind of be like, well, thanks brain. Cause like, I don't want to die alone. Obviously I totally see what you were doing there. <laughs> thanks for trying to have my back. I think we're probably good this week, you know, but it's like to really name those moments and be like, oh, it's just an oversensitive alarm system. Yes. Which you can have some compassion for, you know, yeah. so like, oh, when you deconstruct it like that, you're it, like, it, it has a lot less power. Cause you're like, oh, yeah. you're just overreacting. Oh, I, and you're doing it to help. I understand. Yeah. And like, but totally understandable. Yeah. That to me was, is huge. Like being able to step back in a moment like that and recognize all of that going on, which is very hard to do without yeah. the help, right? Like be, being able to have yeah. that sort of space to, to ask yourself that question. Um, so what other tools do you use in those moments? Like, what would you say if you have anything else that like comes up often, what do you give clients or, or how would you recommend someone who's dealing this with this without support? Those moments of like, oh my God, I'm gaining weight. This process like isn't working for me or I, I can't keep going. What, what do you offer someone? Well, because I'm really invested right now in somatic work, right? So there's a lot of practicing and for anyone who's unfamiliar, so somatic meaning like of the body, right? So, and this was something I used to roll my eyes out because all I want to do is think all day. <laughs> like I'm so happy in my head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just love it there. Um, but it's really disconnected me from my body. And so realizing what, that my body can play a role too, and that I can spend some time has just led me to be like, okay, what is so uncomfortable here? when I get out of my head about it, um, what's actually uncomfortable here and where, and when you go into, you know, into the chest or into the stomach or into even the legs sometimes where there's mm. a sense of like fight or flight that actually happens there, which is essentially what you're in, right? Like this yeah. fight or flight state. So when I was eight, when I'm, when I talk to people around, it's just like, okay, what's going on? Like, where's the energy? And I think of it like that. And that's a tool. It's like, think of it like energy that, cause it is, it's, it's flooding your, it's getting you prepared mm -hmm. to either fight something or run away from it. Um, what do we do with that? Just think about, we're not making decisions about anything right now. You, you're not, you, you're not responsible for that at this moment. You can definitely think about it later, yeah. but right now inside of a moment like that, like, where does that energy need to go? And sometimes it needs to get like pushed out. And, um, as someone who with, I have, I have more, I identify with anger a lot. So yeah. I will get angry if I have a body image and working with you, this came up tons. Like I had so much anger come up as I was, 
reconciling my body growing. And that was lots of unprocessed anger for, for lots of reasons. And that was all coming up. And I would feel like I wanted to hit something like, and I could, when I asked my body what it wanted to do, like, I was like, I want to hit something, but yeah. also it's like, that's that part of the, that, that rebel. That's like, that's not allowed. Like, you're not allowed to like, be giving, <laughs> right. not, like giving yourself permission. Yes, you are. You're like, you're not, yeah. you're not hurting anyone. Like go, you know, I have a client who has a punching bag in her office for that reason to just sort of, and I've, I've, I have someone else who just like slams a pillow on her couch. Mm -hmm. We do it in session and she's like exhausted afterwards because there's this, but processing it that way and looking at how do you want to move the energy that's convincing you right now that there's a big threat right here and now, um, is one of the tools of getting through it. So I think it's really important to acknowledge that the appeal of being able to outthink these issues and this Uh, like the binge restrict cycle in the first place. And also all of the emotions that come up as you're in recovery, like the urge to outthink them and use logic and willpower is incredibly strong and reinforced everywhere and also utterly useless. Yes. So willpower is, and logic both are part of the, like ignore your executive functioning. And when you're Mm -hmm. in a moment of a binge or a body image flood, you're not there. You're not in that space of your brain, you're primal. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's not accessible. So it's interesting. We, I think we, I did, I assumed that like, that's what I mean. I would watch myself eat and I would say like, why, why? Cause I could hear the part of my brain that was logical, but it was like not there. And that's because there was a primal hijacking at that point when you can see them as different. I would say that even just knowing, learning that they're different starts to invite a lot less shame and guilt and more compassion to the fact that like, Cause I, something I hear a lot is like, why can't I stop this? Why it's like, they blame themselves for binging or even I would say once they start to be like, okay, I'm going to like, stop binging, stop restricting. They blame themselves for not being able to stop restricting. It's just all these things as if willpower and logic was voided to go. So I feel like just understanding, like we are animals and yeah. we have these like wired things in us that we just can't overthink or, or rather we can't outthink. Um, yeah. And so dealing with it through a somatic lens, like, well, what's going on in the body? What's the nervous system up to is like brilliant and so helpful. So and helpful. Such a vast world too, of like what the options yeah. are oh, to, yeah. to deal with. Well, I think it's one of the doorways into self-compassion because you're otherwise blaming your character for not being strong yeah. enough. And this is like, oh, this is just science. <laughs> like this is yeah, just the yeah. way like my cells arrange in my brain. Like to me, that's what, that's was, was my way in because I was like, oh, oh, right. Okay. This is actually something you could explain through biology and with like the, the Minnesota starvation. Have you talked about the Minnesota starvation experiment on this podcast? Not on here, I don't think. Go ahead and share it. So this study just helped me understand this from, from a lens of, so during world war II, there were, um, conscientious objectors, right? So they were these, they were men and they were, sound of mind and body. So in order to be qualified for the study, they had to be like robust physically, be mm-hmm. you know, f- physically fit and also mentally healthy. They, they, they had, you know, clear bill of mental health. I don't know how you do that, but okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. And so they put these men on, well, first they observed them eating, um, a certain, a, a quote unquote, normal amount of calories for them that sustained them for us for some time. And, and then they t- restricted their calories by, by about 50%. It's worth noting that the restricting their calories was down to 1600 calories, which is above still above most average diets. Yeah. Yeah. But this was semi-starvation. Yeah. Um, they were walking and they were moving. So there was some calorie expenditure in that way, but they observed them for three months on this 1600 about calorie diet. And long story short, um, over time, what they found was that these men started to um, obsess about food. They started watching a lot of cooking shows. They started getting really irritable. They started um, hoarding food. They started hiding food. They started chewing gum and eating mustard. Um, like these strange behaviors that we see um, in who we think about as anore- anorexia now. Um, and they became obs- obsessed. Their mental health ended up and their physical health ended up becoming really compromised. They lost interest in sex, all these things. They become very anxious. Um, and even after the food was restored back to their normal amounts that they had started at, they still, the behavior still persisted. So this was so fascinating to me. So it wasn't until they ate above and beyond where they had even started 
what had been normal and, and appropriate for their bodies in the yeah. beginning for, for months and months um, that, that they, that they begin to heal. But it's like this primal part comes out when the body feel, when it's not getting its needs met. And that's yeah. where like started getting really angry. They started fighting with one another. Of course, this is looking at like, this is a part of the brain that starts to get activated. That is beyond that, you yeah. know, the parts of the brain that are otherwise and evidently more attuned and more in line and you know and this is also something I feel like creates a lot of guilt and shame for people in the binge restrict cycle uh which is like what is wrong with me I can I can't stop thinking about food yeah and like literally this is your brain being like hey babe um could you eat a little more like that's it (laughs) it's the most normal survival instinct ever there's nothing wrong with you but it it feels like well other people don't do this like why does why am I so weird about food and everyone else is normal that's like that's the interesting thing about working in this is you meet so many people who are saying the same exact things and Uh thinking the same exact things and everyone thinks they're abnormal because of course we don't have access no one's talking about this at parties, you know, like no one's saying, like, I think about food comes, I get something yeah. about food. Um, everyone's playing that off, but it's so normal. Yes. It's a survival mechanism. And I, yeah. I actually was putting my five-year-old to bed uh, and she is interested in like watching these cupcake videos on YouTube. Like, you know, where they make the, the cupcakes. It is, Aww. it's really interesting. It, it's fun to watch. And I was, and I've been watching them with her for a few nights in a row. And I'm, and I recognize, cause it still isn't, doesn't get old to me. Like being recovered. I was like, I used to, I remember that I would watch these things on my own salad, like just because I was so obsessed because I wasn't allowed to have those things. And I would, I just watching them made me want them more. And sometimes I'd have to turn them off. And now I'm watching them like, and that's not alive. Like there's no part of my body that's saying like, Oh, okay. You know, it's more just like, I'm watching the art of it. Um, and that's not, that's not because I changed as a person. That's because my body needs got met. So it's not fighting. It is so hard to convince someone before they start this process that that will happen. That like literally just meeting your needs above and beyond (laughs) getting to a place of abundance. You won't be this person that you're so used to being that this is not like who you are. This is a, a result of a survival mechanism. Yeah. But they're like, it, it doesn't feel like a survival mechanism. It feels like my everyday, you know? I know. And it becomes that. And it's very, it's very pathologized too. I mean, eating is so pathologized. So it, it does feel like it, you're a gluttony. Like it just yeah, feels like you're a yeah. gluttony. I used to think that too, that I'm just broken and I am someone who just, I'm, I'm too much of a foodie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. I'm still a foodie. Like I still love right. food, but it's just not urgent and obsessive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, okay. So give me a definition of intuitive eating, which you, you said before is, uh, the end result, but not the mechanism for getting there. How do you define intuitive eating? So intuitive eating, well, it's, first of all, it's not my own term, right? It's, it's, it's by, uh, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch wrote a book, um, which is now in its what, fifth edition, I think, uh, which outlines 10 principles of intuitive eating, meaning that it's more of like being in touch with the body's sense um, of, and it's actually uh, not just the body. And I want to clarify that. So it also integrates the mind. Like it's not to say that you're, it only is what your body wants. Mm-hmm. It's also a part of what your mind wants, but in a, in a, in an easy relationship with food, where you're, yeah. you have an instinct towards what serves you best. Um, and that, cause one of the misconceptions is that if I allowed my body to eat whatever it wanted, if I followed my body's lead, I would just eat cupcakes and pizza all day yeah. long. Um, which might be the case actually in the beginning. And that is right. maybe part of that during intuition. that recovery phase, but not forever. Yeah. And at some point you can bring, you know, you don't have to eat everything that crosses your mind just because you thought of it. Like you're yeah. allowed to integrate thought into it, but it's again, the word safety comes up for me. It's from this safe place and where food is not like scary. Um, yeah. it's, it's more of, um, being able to be in touch with your food and your body in a way that feels easier. Yeah. Um, so I almost wish that there was another word for it. It's just such a great phrase. I don't love the book that they wrote. And at this point, I feel like I often refer to something that is intuitive eating, but is not really closely held to their principles. Um, because there just isn't another phrase and their phrase is so good. (laughs) I know. And it's so well known. Yeah. Um, but tell me about like, if, if that is the goal, what would that look like? Like, how do you describe mm. the sort of end goal of binge eating recovery? Yeah. What does it look like once you're sort of through the recovery phase? 
So if this is interesting because um, I actually meet, because intuitive eating has gained more popularity, people will hear about it and use it as an approach to recovery now. And I think that if I had done that, I don't know that I would have actually recovered because I think that when you're right. coming from a, a, a mindset of doing things perfectly or following a yeah. plan, that there's this temptation to do that perfectly too. Whereas mm. for me, what intuitive eating feels like was the end result of binge recovery, which does not resemble maybe the idea of intuitive eating being like some kind of perfectly well-rounded breakfast, lunch, dinner, yeah. and like a couple of snacks that look like, you know, it's sometimes it's messier than that. Sometimes it's organized. Sometimes it lacks structure. Sometimes it is like, um, a bowl of cereal at dinner time, like sometimes, yeah. and that's not, not intuitive. And also there's times where I eat against my intuition. I, I guess if you could call it that right. because I just do, yeah. um, but I think like, it's a little messier, not messier. Mm -hmm. It's a little, it's, it's more abstract than this idea of intuitive eating. And to me, it's just knowing it's kind of having my own back when I eat and, and eating for like very, um, like reasons that resonate with different parts of me. So it might be yeah. for taste. Sometimes it might be for stress. Sometimes mm -hmm. like emotional eating can be part of intuitive eating because it feels safe enough to do that. Yeah. Um, but it's also not being afraid of vegetables anymore. It's not being afraid of pizza anymore. It's yeah. it's just having a, like a relationship with food where it's not the forefront relationship. Absolutely. I feel like maybe because, you know, body neutrality is like, a, is the big thing in my work. I feel like food neutrality would be mm. the closest way of putting how I think of it as well, because intuitive eating does present, I don't think they meant to present it like a, a really polished um, sort right. of get this right kind of um, right. outline for how to eat. But I do think it, it's, it's how it reads. It's how a lot of people take away from it. And so then they feel bad and guilty again. Anytime they're like, Oh, I didn't eat intuitively because I knew I should have eaten this thing or my body wanted a salad and I went and had ice cream. And those are just moments where I'm like, okay, so neutrality would be better because we're really just looking at a relationship with food in which there is absolutely no moral attachment to any of it. None of the food, none of the food right. behaviors. You can overeat, you can undereat. Those are two human experiences. You can eat ice cream, you can eat, you know, celery. Like both are fine and fit into a diet. So I feel like what you're describing as messy is really just making a little bit room for the humanity of a, a complicated human relationship to food in which there is no morality. It's your second book. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Honestly, though, I feel like I do the same thing with exercise. Sometimes I'm like movement neutrality, right? Like there yeah. is, it's the same principle, but we, we apply it and it just like makes life so much better when you apply it somewhere yes. that has so much morality, screwing everyone's relationship with it up. Yes. And it's also not to say it's like the moral neutrality of it, right? Because it's not to say that exactly um, like you might ice cream might, you might have an opinion about ice cream. It might sure. not feel new to my feel delicious, but it's like the moral it might make your belly hurt, it, it, yeah. but it doesn't make you a bad person exactly. for sometimes eating exactly. it anyway. And then having a belly ache. Yes. If we were to do this about like sex neutrality, right? Like it doesn't mean you're, you have to have all the sex and it doesn't mean you can't have any sex. It literally just means nothing you do or want or, or like explore sexually means anything about your character or your worth. Yeah. It's basically just getting the, um, self-blame and like the guilt out of yeah, it, like the exactly. judgment, it's taking judgment away from all of it was yeah. essentially what is like, yes, I think that's essentially what it feels like to, to yeah. intuitively eat, quote unquote. And I think there's something too, about like how much people want to pathologize themselves, like just the, the mm. culture we live in and the way we talk about stuff, it's very tempting to pathologize. And, uh, a lot of this is also just taking the pathology out of it. It's like, oh, yeah. I've been eating too much lately. And that's not a problem. That's just fine. That's yeah. the thing I'm doing lately. But then where do you put your anxiety? <laughs> so, yeah. Like sometimes where indeed. Like, yeah. Cause it's such a great place to pathologize something. Oh, it's if we're so like, convenient. Oh, this is where I need to, because everyone myself. will agree. They'll be like, oh yeah, yeah. that is bad. Yeah. <laughs> You'll get lots of reinforcement. <laughs> um, so, okay. I was going to ask you for some other misconceptions about intuitive eating, but now I kind of want to ask you about the anxiety thing. So, okay, we'll okay. do this quick. So, um, what are some other, well, actually I have like a list of questions that I wrote down that a lot of people ask about it. Um, but okay. also do you have any misconceptions off the top of your head that like a certain person who hasn't actually read it or gone deep into it yeah. might have an idea that isn't true? Mostly it's that, um, intuitive eating means that you can eat and should eat whatever you want, whenever you want in like carte blanche, like it's more of a permission to binge is how I, I actually describe it. It sounds like it's permission yeah, to yeah, binge yeah. and that's not what it is. It's actually, it, it is a process of becoming more attuned and it's not something you just start. 
It's yeah. not something that you decide you're going to be an intuitive eater. And now you, now you take, now I'm not judging food anymore. So I should be able to be an intuitive right. eater. It's, it's actually like, like I said, it's an end process rather than a, than yeah, a that's method. super helpful way of framing it for sure. And also, so it, but isn't it kind of like permission to binge? It's like, if you take the morality out of it, it's like, I can binge and I will binge sometimes because that's who I am and what I'm dealing with, but that doesn't mean anything about me and I don't have to restrict. Like if you think about it that way, it's kind of permission, but but maybe that's not what people are imagining. Yeah, I think it's just like, because some people will take that and say, and just continue to binge to play out whatever it is that they're playing out through food and mm-hmm. thing, and like that, that's the goal. Like the goal isn't to binge with permission. The goal is to be able to eat with permission. Um, if binging is like something that that's like a vehicle to expressing their, um, their pain, then it, yeah. you know, it's not the goal to do that. It is neutral, but it's not, that's not the goal of it. Yeah. So, okay. Tell me a little bit about that then. Like, what is the relationship between like coping with pain or anxiety or any of these things that don't feel tolerable and the binge restrict cycle? Like, yeah. When you're trying to get to the real thing that it's about, if it's not about food, how, how does that usually look or how do you help people identify that? So I, usually it's around where that restriction started typically. Right. So there, um, for myself, I can just like, I remember when I started to restrict where that impetus to control my body started, um, I'm going to look there around like what was going on around in my life. Then what were those emotions that I felt I couldn't deal with? Cause we'll store them. Um, especially if this is something that starts in childhood or adolescence, right? Like we, we, we need something to cope. So sometimes it's like, I feel out of control in my life, or I feel like I need to, um, not take up so much room because I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm too much for my parents or whatever it might be. And then we start playing that out through restriction and then binging is that response to the restriction, right? So looking at where that restriction started and what it was we were trying to cut off um, because essentially when we restrict, right, we're also cutting off hunger signals. We're learning mm-hmm. how to dissociate from our body. Um, and so what was going on there? And usually um, for anyone who's read the book, Burnout, it talks about like the stress cycle where the stress, the stress or the trigger happens. We enter the stress cycle and in order to cope, in order to resolve that, that, that trigger, you know, that initial stress cycle, we will use food and we might as, as adults have different logically, we might understand I can handle feeling like I'm disappointed in my parents Mm -hmm. now, maybe we don't, (laughs) but like, you know, there might be like some new ideas, but that it gets stuck in the body that like, nope, this is the way out. This is the way out of that. This is the way out of that. And so I like to look at like where that began and what are the triggers now that might resemble which, which of those activated wounds are getting like, are getting reactivated yeah. right now. Is burnout, um, Emily Nagoski. Yeah. And yeah. her sister. Yeah. And her sister, Amelia. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Amelia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I should know that too. Um, okay. So by dealing with where the restriction started, you get to the root cause of the cycle and how it's been using, uh, how, how you've been using it to cope, uh, avoid things, earn things, protect yourself from things, all of these things. But what about the fact that like the binge itself also becomes a coping mechanism? Yes, it does. Um, so usually the binge, most everyone I talk to who has, who binge eats, I, I would say everyone that I can't think of an exception at the moment. There might be though. Um, has a binge begin without a restriction first, right? So like the binge becomes a part of the response, but then it starts to take on a life of its own because it's such a nice place to escape and Mm -hmm. to get some dopamine. And this is the other piece of it, right? So as we start, as our binge restrict cycle gets longer and longer, we start to feel worse and worse about ourselves. And then we start crowding out our lives, right? We start crowding Mm -hmm. out any other sources of pleasure or happiness or safety or, you know, because it all becomes about the food. And then we really do need that binge to provide us with a hit of feeling. Um, so give me some of the things that the binge can provide or stand in for like as a need or a, a, yeah. uh, Tell me about the benefits, if you will, of benefits of binging, um, boundaries. So where we're not able to set them out loud or externally, it's like a way of, um, like 
it's the anger of the bound of like, no, it's like, you know, no, I'm not going to comply anymore with the restriction. Like an expression it, of the rebel ex- side, you mean? Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, safety and comfort. It mm. is like food is comforting, but you know, from the moment we are oh, yeah. born, food is comforting and, and safe and reward for a lot of people. It's like, because we learned it's a reward as well, right? Yeah. We learned from a young age that that's like, you earn your food. So it can feel yeah. like validation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll meet a lot of people who say like, they're not seen. I mean, a lot, I work with a, a single mom who feels like at the end of the day, like nobody, like she's done all this stuff. And also mm. at the end of the day, it's like that food is like her validation for a day well done. Yes. Um, and it feels like pleasure. That. Just pleasure. if you don't have a lot of sources of pleasure or joy, like it can easily take over for easily. that. Yeah. Um, you mentioned dopamine, which would be joy, happiness. What do you call dopamine? Pleasure? Like pat on the back. Like, like it's the accomplishment, like, oh, and, yeah, yeah. and, 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 I mean, yeah, it intersects with joy as well. It's yeah, like, like reward. Yeah, reward. Um, okay. I feel like there's no, emo- like loneliness. Uh-huh. Um, loneliness is a big one where food is just that reliable. It's always there. It's consistent. Mm-hmm. And um, it's also like a numbing agent too, for as much yep. as it can be, a, it can it can be either like numbing yeah. or it can make you feel. Because when you're so full, Ooh, you're yes. like, oh my gosh, I can't help but feel my body. hundred um, percent. I feel like my experience of binging, um, which was never like a major cycle, but certainly- uh, certainly it existed. And in particular when I was dieting. Um, but I, I feel like I ate to get rid of feelings that were uncomfortable. It's the same reason I like drink too much sometimes or shop too much. Like it was that coping numbing thing, uh, that I just like have no longer having that, you know, I've found other ways I scroll too much or, you know, like, I think we all numb so many different ways, but it can be a wildly convenient way of like, I know in, in 40 minutes, I will no longer yeah. feel any of these feelings. Cause I'll be so stuffed with food. Yes. It's, it numbs it out. Mm-hmm. It's sensory, right? So food is like pretty much hits all of the senses and senses are how our nervous system calms down. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, and it's, it's always available. We need to, like, it's the most convenient thing yeah, to absolutely. use. Um, and it's got the reward in it. So, I mean, like, yeah. I always say like, people are like, why can't I just, you know, call that friend instead of, uh-huh. Like, oh, it's not even close to the Shouldn't same I be thing. able to meditate or go for a walk? Exactly. I'm like, I mean, if you can, sure, but it's not going to take over and be like better. <laughs> it's never better. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's a sensory tool too. So speaking of it, never being better. Um, what are your thoughts on someone who is trying to replace the, uh, whatever the binge is giving them? They're like, okay, so I've acknowledged that I'm lonely or I'm stressed or I'm feeling too many feelings. Um, and I use food X, Y, Z. So how do you help them replace it when, when you know full well that nothing will ever just stand in and be that, I mean, Uh, it has been built up as like the one tool to rein them all, you know? Yes. So I say, um, that we're going to like, we work on other tools not to replace it, but to add to it. So when you Mm. believe that you have to like, again, that idea of a bubble bath, right? If you think that if, like you, you need to go take a bubble bath instead of binging. You're not going to, you're not going to get that far. You're, you're never yeah. going to think about the bubble bath. You're like, no way. That's just not as good. So we are going to, mm-hmm. we're going to do both. Um, yes. it's also not a bubble bath, but like it could be, I suppose if you're yeah, doing yeah. bubble baths, but it's, you, it's bringing in new tools alongside of the food so that yep. you have time to like safely explore them and integrate them in where they're mm. not threatening to take something away from you because it's like taking away the your blankie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh, that's such a great analogy. Yeah. So yeah, like you might give a kid a whole bunch of other things and lessen the power of the blankie over their lives, but like just trying to snatch the blankie away and be like, figure it out. is like not (laughs) going to be a good deal. (laughs) Here's your new teddy bear. Yeah. It's not, it's not. So it has to be done slowly and safely. That's why like, uh, so sometimes people will meet with me for the first time and say, I've been binging up until this meeting. Like I've noticed this week, it's gotten really intense. And the idea always, I should, I should warn people first, uh, is like, I think like feeling like I'm going to stop the binges. Like I'm going to take them away. Um, And And they feel like because they signed up to work with you, they're about to be lectured. They're going to lose something and told not to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, no, we're going to keep eating, (laughs) keep (laughs) eating and eating. And we're going to talk about some other things too, and bring in Uh these other things. And only when you feel safe, 
And that's the thing is it's never, it's not, it doesn't become a choice to say, I, I decided I don't, I don't need the binges anymore. I'm going to go for this. It's much more organic than that. It becomes yeah. more like, I realized I didn't need to do that today. Like it wasn't, mm-hmm. the urge wasn't there. I, I'm relying on these other things. Of course, this is wrapped up in a bow. This is in theory, how wonderfully it works, but right. usually very messy to get to that yeah. point, but it is about expanding your sources of coping skills and, and joy and things like that but usually with food itself first. And that takes time. Yeah. I mean, even just building up these tools, these skills takes an immense amount of time. It's like, think about how long in therapy you would have to spend like learning how to cope. If you didn't have a a stand-in, like an addiction or a binge restrict cycle or something, like it would still take a really long time because that's just an incredibly difficult thing to learn. But when you have something that you're hoping it replaces soon, the pressure feels very high to be yeah. like, when will this work? And like, it just takes a yeah. long time. It does like years even. Um, and it's, that's not to say it can't, like there's other things that can't take less time, but it's, it's, this is not like a light subject. This is, this yeah. is like, yeah. And, and I remember you asking me once, you introducing a topic like that to me and, and, and just opening up like the question in my mind. And I had no answers for it. Like how else, what else do I enjoy? I don't even know. Yeah. But it was just like, oh, well now I'm going to be thinking about that for a long, long time. I still think about that. (laughs) It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's not like a, a quick thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I sometimes feel too, I mean, I, I give this analogy, which is like, maybe slightly insensitive, but it really helpful. I find like, if you just think about drug addiction, And, uh, I don't know if you've ever known anybody who had, uh, gotten clean from, or gotten through recovery from heroin, but they will straight up tell you nothing is ever as good as heroin ever again. Yeah. And so I also think there's something like existentially really interesting about just having accidentally found out that there is this like incredible substance that will probably kill you, but also like nobody else was walking around with that torture of like, this exists and I know it exists and I'm choosing not to do it. Like there's something about that too, with, with eating disorders and things like that, where you just kind of have to like reconcile the fact that, you know, a secret (laughs) and like, not everybody is walking around going, Oh, this would be so much easier if I could just diet and then throw up or whatever, you know, like, but you do, you know, yeah, Yeah, and, and just holding that and being like, I'm not going to choose it anyway. Yeah. But does that feeling ever go away? Are you ever like, mm, this nice little walk is definitely <laughs> as <Yeah>. good? <laughs> you know what? That's a great question. And I think that in the beginning, this is more potent. I think in the beginning, it's a lot harder to say, I'm just, I'm actively not choosing this thing that I know right. would feel better. But I, I don't, I was just talking to somebody about this recently because I was talking about how I was, <laughs> this might, you could take this as you will. I, I was like, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to watch the crown tonight. Like I was so excited to watch the crown, right? This was my hit of dopamine. And I was, mm. I was thinking like, oh my gosh, it's so sad that like my excitement is now, but it doesn't feel like it's, I don't feel like, oh, like I'd rather be binging. Like to me, right. it's like, it's yeah. just replaced it. It's a little more subtle. It's definitely not as fancy and it's, you know, it doesn't have those bells and whistles attached to it, but it's still like, it does provide me with this like, yay, comfort. Like it's, it is comforting to me and I don't miss the food being that thing, but in the beginning I would have. That makes so much sense. I would say that similarly, I think what's helpful about the analogy there is knowing that there's a possibility it doesn't go away. And that like, there are people doing that, you know, like just recognizing, like recognizing that that's like, uh, an experience that could exist and you would still be okay. And it would still be yeah. worth doing. Yes. But I, I agree. I'd say most people eventually the, once the power is really discharged around food or whatever, it just does become kind of like, Hey, we, people get used to so much so fast, you know, it's a pandemic. Well, I guess we all live inside now. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it does eventually just not have that yes. power for most people. I've had, I've actually worked with people who've gotten depressed afterwards because, um, food is no longer like, they don't feel that same rush from food and it's really depressing. Life is really boring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Same. Yeah. And what do you say to those people? I'm so sorry. (laughs) No, but I I actually, I just spoke to somebody who last year, this was, she's going through and it's, it's passed for her. Um, and it's, I think sometimes it's part of the process, yeah, right? Like, I, like yeah. rather than a, now we're depressed all the time because of this, I think it's a, it's a part of, of moving. It's a grief part. I was going to say, it feels like the letting go process of shit. 
Like I didn't fill my life with anything big enough to handle this. Now that I've given up the one thing, it's like that recognition of like, my life is so dull or small or like lonely and just having to deal with that. Right. But I mean, it doesn't mean that can't be, that can't change. I don't think it's a life sentence. Absolutely. Um, Anything else that we didn't talk about today that you wanted to talk about? Because I could talk to you forever. Yeah. Um, Ooh, I, I, no, I think, I mean, like, <laughs> yes and no, like uh, that, we, we, could, we would just keep talking forever. There's so many angles of it. There's like the anxiety yeah. angle and the somatic angle and mm-hmm. the self angle and all of the, those things. But um, I, feel I wrote like down learned helplessness. Basically, I went through your Instagram and I was like, every post should be a question, but there's no time for all that. <laughs> Learned helplessness. Yeah. I was just having a conversation about that yesterday. That's another part. Yeah. Of course. Where you feel like you're banging your head against well, but I think that's part of the diet, res- the, the binge restrict cycle in that when we're constantly trying to solve our binge eating with another way of restricting like wellness, that's another angle of conversation. Mm, um, yeah. that essentially you do, you, you feel like there is no way out and the way out is actually probably something you never would have considered before. Yeah. Cause it's certainly not advocated for or taught about in recovery conversations. Yeah. Can you come back and do an episode trash talking wellness culture with me? Yeah. That would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. Um, okay. So tell people where they can find you. And if you have anything that's like, you know, relevant and you want to share, go ahead. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, I have a website. I am stephaniemichelle.com and I am running, I run an ongoing, um, recovery, binge eating recovery to intuitive eating course. It is intuitive eating aligned, but it is more of a focus on binge eating recovery specifically. Yeah. Awesome. Um, everyone listening, you know where to find me, jessineelan.com or Instagram at jessineelan. And I'm, oh, I just got a TikTok account. So I'm going to figure that out. Soon. Um, and, uh, please come over to my DMS in Instagram and tell me what you thought of this episode. And if you want Stephanie to come back and what topics you want tackled, because I feel like there is so much enthusiasm, I guess is sort of the right word, like so much interest in this topic with food, recovering, um, your relationship with food and stuff that I feel like people ask me all the time. And because I don't talk about food a whole lot, like I'm always just like, go follow these people, go read these books. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, if this is of interest to my listeners, I want to bring you back and talk more. So, um, feel free to do that. And other than that, thank you so much, Stephanie, for being here. This was amazing. And, uh, to my listeners, I will catch you next week. <laughs>